a traumatic memory. It is literally stored in a different part of our brain, part of our brain that is, it's nonverbal, it has no sense of time, it's all emotion. These memories are not regular old memories and they get triggered. Our brain perceives something that reminds us of that. And because it lives in that emotion center of our brain, we become flooded with those same exact emotions as if it were happening again. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Greetings, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Timothy Meyer, LCSW. Timothy is a psychotherapist specializing in working with trauma, anxiety, and depression. He has completed extensive training in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR, and is EMDRIA certified, the highest level of certification for an EMDR practitioner. He also has the number one video on YouTube about EMDR. Timothy, welcome to the show. Gabe, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Now, uh, per the EMDR International Association, EMDR is defined as a structured therapy that encourages the patient to briefly focus on the trauma memory while simultaneously experiencing bilateral stimulation, typically eye movements, which is associated with a reduction in the vividness and emotion associated with the trauma memories. Now, when, when I hear that and when I first heard about it, I thought, okay, th this is just another YouTube fad. It's another TikTok video. It, it's somebody is trying to sell me something. It seemed science fiction-y, and I was very, very skeptical. Uh, however, the, the research is there. Can you walk our listeners through a little history of EMDR, including the robust study on its effectiveness? You know, even being a practitioner myself, first hearing about EMDR, um, I, I had those same skeptical thoughts until I sort of dove into the research and, and got trained in it and started using it that I really, really understood the effectiveness of it, right? EMDR is an evidence-based practice. It's been around for a few decades. It's been more popular recently in the media. And so a lot of more people are hearing about it now. MDRIA.org does a great job of explaining exactly what it is. And it is a psychotherapy that does exactly what the definition says. We systematically and intentionally revisit painful life events from the past while utilizing bilateral stimulation. And what that does is it reduces the intensity and the severity of those memories to reduce symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. It really sounds like exposure therapy a, a little bit. Like if you're afraid of snakes, you're supposed to handle snakes and then that makes you more used to snakes, which makes you less afraid of snakes. Is it kind of like that, or am I really oversimplifying it? So yes, um, EMDR is similar to exposure therapy in the fact that we are revisiting um, a painful life event memory over and over and over again. And we do become desensitized to that memory where the emotions are less intense um, after having gone through it numerous times. However, that's not all that it is. Um, we utilize eye movements that that's the E and the M in EMDR, to utilize bilateral stimulation, which stimulates the healing properties of our brain to actually move memories over from one part of our brain to a different part of our brain, where they can be processed and encoded differently. And also, the R part of EMDR is the reprocessing, and the memory truly becomes 
reprocessed and changed and therefore felt and experienced much differently. So it is far more than just exposing ourselves to something over and over and over where we get used to it. The memory actually is moved to a different part of our brain and it is experienced differently after a memory is processed with EMDR. It does still sound confusing to me because it it seems like you're just reliving the memory and I'm not certain where the eye movement part comes in. Can you help clarify how thinking about a traumatic event and EMDR sort of work more hand in hand? I'll give you a picture of, of what it might look like in an actual session when we're doing EMDR processing. I will have someone recall a memory. Um, identify the worst part of that memory and keep that image up in their mind, have them identify any negative beliefs that they have about themselves, any feelings that come up right now as they are tuning into that image. And so we take those three things and that's sort of our starting point. And then I have people go with it, right? And that's a very vague ask for them to do. But as, as they, quote, go with it, they allow their mind to go wherever it goes. And that's when we start the bilateral stimulation. For about 20 to 30 seconds, I will kind of move my hand across someone's face and they follow my fingers with their eyes as they, quote, go with it. And then we stop and we pause. And then I say, what came up? And the client will then give me a brief summary on where it is that their mind went. Nine times out of 10, I will say, okay, go with that, which just means continue kind of down that thought process Wherever your mind goes, it goes, that's okay. And then we continue with the bilateral stimulation. And we really do that over and over and over again. And the really interesting process, because really what I'm doing as a therapist is I'm getting out of the brain's way, right? I'm utilizing the most intense part of that memory as a starting point or a launching pad. I'm doing bilateral side-to-side stimulation to stimulate the brain's own healing properties, and allowing the client to go through this memory in the safest environment possible. And by doing that sort of over and over and over again, and with with the practitioner getting out of the way, the brain is actually able to heal itself. Remembering always that our brains do always try to heal themselves. It does seem like there's a talk therapy component. As, as you mentioned, you're asking your patients questions and they're giving information to the therapist, but there's this added step. Is there a commonality there or is it completely different from talk therapy? So I would say that it is more different than talk therapy than it is similar to talk therapy. So in the beginning, typically of a session, as we're sort of setting up the memory, there is a lot of talking and information gathering on You know, I'm understanding a little bit about the memory. I'm understanding about the worst part. I'm understanding about those negative beliefs about themselves and the feelings that come up when that memory is experienced. And then after that, once I have the person begin with the bilateral stimulation, there's not much talking. It's actually a very quiet hour or 45 minutes because really what we want to do is sort of get out of the way. Right. So I will be doing bilateral stimulation for, let's say, 20 to 30 seconds. I say, what came up? They give me a brief summary. Oh, you know, I began thinking about the fact that I remember this happening. Okay, good. Go with it. And then we're silent again. Most of the work really is happening inside the person's mind. And that's actually what we want because that is where the memory lives. That's where the emotions are. When we begin to talk too much, we actually get 
outside of that emotion center in our brain and we kind of come more to the top of our brain. And I don't want us to do the work there. With EMDR, we really dive into the emotions and the experiences. We notice what it feels like. We sort of experience these memories again. And while we're doing that, we're utilizing bilateral stimulation to work and really like chew on this memory and process it and digest it in our mind. When you were describing this, somebody somebody shares their trauma, you wave your hand in front of their face, they, they don't talk for 30 seconds, and then you ask them essentially how they're feeling. It, it seems like voodoo almost. What is the person supposed to do for 30 seconds? And, and what does the hand waving actually do? Because I'm, I'm sitting here picturing it in my mind. Once again, as we've talked about, I'm putting on my skeptic hat again. It just doesn't seem like it does anything. What happens during those 30 seconds? Really great question, and, and I'm happy that, that you asked it because it, it literally does seem like voodoo, right? Um, so what's happening is my hand going in front of people's faces, right? It's moving their eyes back and forth, side to side, back and forth. That's the bilateral stimulation that stimulates our brain to chew up and process some of these things, right? And so as that's happening, I ask people to go with it. And again, that's a very vague ask for people to do, but they allow their mind to go wherever it goes. There's no rights, there's no wrongs, there's no supposed tos, because we know that the brain has an innate ability to heal itself and it's always trying to. And so we allow the person's mind to go wherever it needs to go, trusting that it will. At the same time, we're stimulating the brain's healing properties and the restorative nature of the brain with the back and forth bilateral stimulation. To say a little bit more about that, I like to make the, the connection between this and REM sleep. When we're in REM sleep, we're typically dreaming, right? And our eyes are moving back and forth rapidly. And when we dream, that is when our brain is processing the stuff that happened in our day, right? That's when memories move from short-term memory to long-term memory. That's where things get digested and processed and all of that sort of stuff. So if you think about it that way, typically if we're dreaming about something very painful, well, that's usually a nightmare and we'll usually wake up from that nightmare. And then wouldn't you know it, the memory is still not processed. Now we're stimulating that same type of process that happens in REM sleep, but we're awake. We're intentionally bringing up the memory. We're doing eye movements and we're processing it in the most safe way possible. When I think about my own therapy sessions and my own trauma, I want to do everything I can to avoid it. And when you were describing it, I thought, okay, so what's going to stop me from thinking about pizza, right? You're, you're telling me to think about the trauma and go with it. So I'll just, I'll just think about pizza and then I'll, I'll pull something out when you ask me about it. How do we keep the patient accountable? And how does the therapist know that the patient is, I don't want to say doing what they're supposed to do, because that sounds paternalistic, but I, I know myself, especially when it comes to my trauma, any way that I can avoid it, I will take, e even though it's not in my best interest. I think that that's a really great point. The, the tendency, of course, is, is to avoid or, or bury these traumas, right? And, and our brain does that on purpose to protect ourselves right? because it's a very, very unpleasant experience to kind of go back to it, re-experience it, et cetera. The way that we get around that really is 
explaining the the process to the patient, um, having them understand that like, yes, like this is going to get worse before it gets better. And this is going to be a really difficult series of weeks as we work to process these memories. And yes, it will be hard, but it will be worth it because let's say a month or two or six or however long it is down the line, you won't be triggered by those things anymore and you won't have this overwhelming sense of panic or dread or anxiety, right? So really what I think is so important is the psychoeducation in the beginning of the MDR to allow people to understand what it is, how it works, why it works, how difficult it's going to be and why that's going to be worth it. And oftentimes there are people that come in and I explain all that and they say, I don't know if I can do that. And I say, that's totally fine. Maybe you're not ready. But when people are ready and they can do the work, it's very, very powerful and lifetime lasting work. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hey everyone, my name is Rachel Star Withers and I live with schizophrenia. I'm also the host of Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast that dives deep into all things schizophrenia, featuring personal experiences and experts to help you better understand and navigate schizophrenia. Inside Schizophrenia is a Psych Central and Healthline Media podcast and we're available right now on your favorite podcast player. Check us out. And we're back discussing eye movement desensitization and reprocessing EMDR with psychotherapist Timothy Meyer. We've been talking about this in the abstract for a little while now. Do you have a case example that you can share with us of where EMDR has has been effective and and really illustrate how it was used to treat trauma? Sure. Um, this um, This is a recent example, so it's at the top of my brain. So I'm working with this woman in her late twenties. And it's a, it's a very complex case because there's, there's numerous traumas, but the most recent memory that we were working to target a memory of about five or six years ago, where her stepfather broke into her room with a gun and she was very fearful for her life. She and her sister had to hide in the closet. And then there was a struggle to get the gun away. And thankfully, luckily, everyone left unscathed. But of course, that is a very traumatic memory. So that was the one that we worked on most recently. So the way that it works is we set up the memory. Um, I asked her, what's the image of the the worst part of that memory? And she says, uh, you know, right as the door opened, and I saw the barrel of the gun come through the door. And I say, okay, um, as you tune into that image, is there a negative belief about yourself that feels it all true right now? 
as you tune into that image? And she goes, yes, the belief about myself is that I'm going to die. And I say, okay, um, is there a belief that you'd prefer to have about yourself right now with that image? And she says, well, yeah, I mean, I would prefer to believe that I'm going to be okay. And I say, okay, as you tune into that image and you say the words to yourself, I'm going to be okay. How true does that feel? And she says, not true at all. I say, okay. Then I say to her, as you tune into that image and you say that negative belief of I'm going to die, what feeling comes up right now? And she says, I feel panic in my chest and it's level 10 out of 10. And I say, okay, great. Then what we do is we take that image, we take that negative belief of I'm going to die and that feeling of panic in her chest and we go with it. And then I start doing bilateral stimulation for about 20 to 30 seconds. I stop. I say, what comes up? She fills me in on where her mind went. And I say, okay, go with it. Now, that memory took, oh, about, I'm going to say five weeks um, in order to clear. And when the memory was clear, and, and this is how we know that a memory is clear, we're able to go back to that original image. And I say, do you notice any disturbance? that goes along with that image. And the disturbance goes all the way down to zero. So I say, what about that panic in your chest that you felt level 10? And she says, well, it's, it's, it's at a zero right now. Maybe a one, but really a zero. I say, okay. And then I say, remember that positive belief about yourself that you would prefer to believe that I'm gonna be okay? Can you take that image and tune into it and also say that positive belief about yourself? And how true does that feel? And she says, well, it feels all the way true. And then we do a really quick, uh, what we call a body scan um, as she's tuning into that worst part of that image and ensuring that there are no more disturbances that she notices in her body with that image in mind. And that's how we know that the memory is cleared. And, and she even came back in, I think two weeks later and she, and she goes, you know what? Do you remember how I would always get triggered by that memory whenever I would drive past this one place? And I said, yeah. And she goes, I didn't even realize it, but I've been driving past that place and there have been no triggers. I say, that's amazing. So that's one example of a trauma, the EMDR, how it works and what it looks like at the end. Keeping that example that you just gave us in mind, can you help our listeners understand which part was the E, which part was the M, which part was the D, which part was the R, so that they, they understand how that all fits together and how it all works? So the EM stands for eye movements. That is the, the bilateral stimulation, me moving my hand across her face throughout basically all of our sessions. So eye movement, um, desensitization, right? You know, she spent about five whole sessions diving into this memory and almost reliving it and re-experiencing it. So the desensitization happens as we kind of continue to go into it over and over and over again. And then the R, reprocessing. I'll explain this one and explain a little bit more about this case. There was that negative belief about herself. I'm going to die. Now, at the end, there was a new belief of I'm going to be okay, right? So now this story in her mind, this memory, none of the parts of the story changed because we can't go back in time and change the parts of the story, but we can change the meaning behind the story. Initially, the story was remembered with that negative belief of, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. This is, this is terribly scary as the memory was buried back in there. But now it's a story of, well, that was awful um, and it was extremely scary, but I know I'm okay. 
I know I survived that. I know that that actually had me grow stronger. And actually, I'm proud of myself for what I did in protecting my sister. The reprocessing, it's all about the new meaning that is attached to the memory and also how it is reprocessed and remembered differently inside our brain neurologically. So Timothy, if I make a, an EMDR appointment, I, I call you up, I make an appointment. So the, the very first session, I walk in the door, I have to explain to you my trauma while you wave your hand in front of my face. Is, is that how this works? It's just, I, I need to be prepared to dive into my deepest trauma in the very first session? <laughs> Great question. Um, and the answer is, is no, 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 I, absolutely not. What we've been speaking about with uh, EMDR so far we, we've been speaking about the, the phases of EMDR where we're reprocessing trauma. Now, there are beginning steps before that, a decent amount of things that we have to do before we even dive into these traumas. I need to get to know the person. The person needs to get to know me. We have to build, build a rapport. I have to get a sense on, on the trauma history, um, a bit about what's happened. And most importantly is we need to learn skills. These skills are super duper duper important. They're always priority number one because rule number one of EMDR is we have to take care of ourselves. That means that we have to take care of ourselves in session and out of session. Now, we're going into literally the worst things that have ever happened. And if we just decide to waltz right into them without being prepared first, well, that's never going to go well. So the first handful of sessions, really what I'm working with with folks is building skills, building mindfulness skills, building skills with breathing, emotion regulation, how to take care of ourselves, all of these sorts of things. Because EMDR is really hard work and you're going to get triggered and you're going to feel a lot of things. And we need those tools in our toolbox to help take care of ourselves when it happens. Also, when people are in EMDR therapy, it's far more likely that they'll have more nightmares and more triggers because we're stirring all this stuff up that's been very neatly buried for, well, X amount of years. So rule number one, we have to take care of ourselves. So step number one, we learn how to take care of ourselves. That's a huge first step. And then once we accomplish that, then we dive into the traumas and work on processing them. Thank you so much for clarifying that. Because as I was sitting here, I was thinking, wow, that's just... That's just a lot to ask of a person just instantly. And I, I wondered how many people, I, now that you've answered, I, I wonder how many people were listening to this and thinking, well, I'm not making that appointment. I'm not ready yet. It sounds like, just to clarify, you don't have to be ready to share the trauma to make an EMDR appointment. That's part of the process. You just have to have trauma that you're interested in mitigating, and then it sort of takes off from there. It, it It's not a... You don't have to be 100% all in to make that, that first appointment. Absolutely. And I will never dive into trauma right away with people unless I know that they're ready. And interestingly enough, um, there have been numerous times where I've gone through sort of the beginning parts of EMDR where we build all of these skills and we learn this and that and put them into practice. And a lot of people say, you know what, Tim, I, I, I think I'm good. <laughs> like, like these skills that you taught me even before we even go into processing, I think I'm better. And then I say, okay, you know, um, we certainly don't have to process every single thing. So that's always step one. And sometimes step one is enough. 
Timothy, thank you so much for all of this information and for helping us better understand. EMDR was gigantic. Trying to research this in, in the few hours that I have per episode proved to be extraordinarily problematic. So this is not a question that I normally ask on a podcast, but is there anything that I forgot? Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know that I just did not uncover in my research? Because clearly you are in a much better position to figure out what we should be taking away. And I want to give you that opportunity. Yeah. I, and I appreciate that question. Um, so, so what I want people to know about EMDR, I'll say this, it is not hypnosis. Everyone thinks, oh, you're going to wave your hands in front of my face and then all of a sudden my trauma disappears. You must be trying to hypnotize me. It's not hypnosis. It's nothing like hypnotherapy whatsoever. Um, It is completely different. EMDR, there are a lot of skeptics out there, um, which I totally understand, but I can assure you that, that the research and the data and the studies are out there to support it. It's not someone just saying, oh, I think that this works. It does seem a little unorthodox, and it is, it is definitely much different than any other psychotherapy, but that doesn't mean that it's a hoax. I think my last thing that I would want people to know about EMDR is it's a very deep, immersive, experiential therapy. It's not just talk therapy. We dive into these memories. It's almost like we're playing movies of them in our head. We re-experience them. And that's where the healing happens. I have so many people come in and they say, you know, I've talked about my trauma a hundred times and it's still, you know, I'm still being triggered. I'm still not over it. I still can't, you know, X, Y, or Z. And that's because we haven't actually gotten down to the deep roots of it. And it's extremely hard work, but in my opinion, it's extremely worth it. To the listeners, what I would say is if you feel as though your trauma work with with any therapist might not be getting you to where you want. I would recommend even just giving EMDR a little bit of a thought, knowing that it's going to be challenging, but knowing that it's going to be worth it. Timothy, thank you so much. At the beginning of the show, I referenced that you have a YouTube channel and the number one YouTube video about EMDR on YouTube. Can you tell folks where to find you on the web and what your YouTube channel is? Yes, absolutely. So I practice at a practice called the Lucan Center for Psychotherapy. That's L-U-K-I-N Center on YouTube. We have numerous videos on there about different types of therapies that we do. And on YouTube, we actually have a demonstration video of what EMDR actually looks like. We get so many questions of like, what do you mean you wave your hand in front of my face? Like, what do you mean? What does that look like? Well, there's actually a video to show you exactly what that looks like. Um, I do recommend that people give it a look just so that way they have a better idea and understanding of what this actually looks like. Timothy, once again, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you so much. You are very welcome, Timothy. And a huge thank you to all of our listeners. You all know my name is Gabe Howard, but did you know that I am the author of a book? The book is Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. I'm also an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. Look, we all know my book is on Amazon, but did you know that you can get a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me just by heading over to my website at gabehoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. You don't want to miss a thing, and it is absolutely free. And here's a personal favor that you can do for me. Please recommend the show. Sharing the show is how we grow. And I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. 
have a topic or guest suggestion, email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.